The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, AWeber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, AWeber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. AWeber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by The Alternative Board. Since 1989, The Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to connect with our affiliate sponsor, GSM Growth Agency. They're boosting e-commerce businesses to six and seven figures in revenue and cover everything from ads and social media influencers to making your website better. GSM Growth Agency focuses on taking businesses from startup success to bigger success, going above and beyond to make sure growth sticks around. They're all about cool ideas, lasting partnerships, and making your mark in the e-commerce world. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. So th- this, this was one of the, one of the screens um, that we used in the innovation filter, which is, yeah, which is like competitiveness. And in, yeah. in hot cereal, there's nothing on shelf today that has our macronutrient content of 20 grams of protein and less than five grams of net carbs. So it's essentially a keto product. We don't, uh, you know, heavily market it as a keto product, but there's nothing high protein, low carb in the hot cereal category today. So it's one of the things, correct. There there are, there are in granola, there are uh, uh, some in, in boxed, you know, cold cereal, but nothing in hot cereal. And in fact, if you look at the category, you're right. It's a big, even just, I mean, you said it has its own aisle, but even you know, hot cereal oatmeal, it's a billion dollar plus, it's a billion dollar category plus. It's a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of a big, mature, sleepy category. You know, you say oatmeal, you say hot cereal. It's not like the sexiest category in the store, but that was, that was part of the appeal is there's just not that much going on. That's really, really innovative. And all right, all of my loyal listeners out there, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, We have as always, great guests. We got a, a great guest today. He's got a startup. A very good friend of mine is a PR uh, person, and uh, we're excited to hear about all the things he's doing with Acorns, believe it or not. Uh, if you are listening on your favorite podcast directory, please leave us a five-star review whenever you can. If you're watching us on YouTube, like us, subscribe us so we can keep bringing you the kind of content that we um, are proud of. So let's get on with the show. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say, their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. 
You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, my name is David Cantor. I'm the founder and CEO of Folk Revival. We are a an emerging natural foods company that is focused on reviving heirloom and heritage foods uh, and delivering real functional nutrition. And we are launching with a line of high-protein, low-carb, hot cereal cups made with acorns. All right, David. So thanks for coming on the show. Um, I think you hold the record of... I talk to you briefly and how quickly you got on the show because I had a cancellation today. We talked what Wednesday, I think it was right. And, uh, or Tuesday and you're on. So it's, it's, it's awesome. And Andrew's great. She gets me all the stuff that I need. So to get the show going. So we're going to talk today about folk revival and the, 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 what you call heirloom foods group that you're building. Um, very interested in the whole acorn thing because I grew up with oak trees everywhere and it was like, you know, ridiculous if we could have done something with the acorns and made a business out of it. And, uh, yeah, so let's go backwards. Let's talk about your, you know, your, not your upbringing, but you know what I mean? Corporate experience, business experience, all that kind of stuff. And then maybe in the second half of the show, we'll get into folk revival and what it is and what you're doing and all that type of stuff. Does that make sense? Perfect. Okay. Well, so first of all, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, I've been Sorry. I've been in the natural food business, working on natural foods and beverages for 20 years. I started my career um, in 2003. Uh, I took an okay. I took an a sort of a, a junior marketing position with Eminem Mars in their health sure. and nutrition division, which was really yeah. like their skunk works essentially, where they were. And we were right, trying to start a candy company. It's a candy company, but you know, even you know, this was like the almost like the Bell Lab skunk works, if you're familiar with the expression, right? So, so this is where you know yeah. all of the secret work, sort of future proofing the business and diversifying the portfolio into better for you snacks and confections was all right. happening. I got to so, so if you were like Himmler, this would be like where the elves were exactly, basically. Exactly. It was it. it was it was it was terrific training. Mars is you know um, really highly regarded for training. Um, training mm-hmm. essentially uh, future marketers. And that's where I sort of cut my teeth. I spent over five years there. And and did you in college major in marketing or did you major in food science? Like what brought you to Mars? Oh, you want to just you, because- well, all right. So 20 years in corporate, you know, corporate food and beverage, but before yeah. and I'll 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 catch you up to the present. But before that, uh, before that, uh-huh. I earned a master's degree from Tufts Nutrition, and I really studied. Okay. I studied really food, like uh, food and agriculture, Science? food and agriculture policy. Actually, food and ag okay. policy within a nutrition school, right. sort of a specialized track. Um, this was the early two thousands, and before that, if you go back further. I, I lived out West. I lived in New Mexico and ran my own organic farm for a few years. So I have, I I have a lot of experience, a lot of sorts. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of, um, well, a lot of food experience. I had a pretty, pretty, um, I wasn't, I wasn't exactly a cookie cutter hire for Mars because most of their junior marketers are coming out of MBA programs. And here I was a sort of a former farmer and I studied ag policy, but I actually think it was a really good fit because they were looking for people with different perspectives to join this sort of unique team um, to help that that understood natural and organics a little bit better and things like that. So 
Um, after five years there, I moved to um, I moved around a little bit. Spent four years with another uh, family-owned business um, that's mostly in the contract manufacturing side of things, but ended up leading marketing for that organization eventually. And then after contract manufacturing, you need their private labeling stuff for other people, like their primarily, primarily that's what what they what they were doing. And I assisted with that, but they were also looking to develop brands of their own, and that's really um, the the charge I was leading and. And then, um, because I was unwilling to relocate, <laughs> I, which which my uh, the owner of the company was yeah. looking for me to do at the time, we ended up parting ways very amicably, but uh, parting ways, which allowed me to do a little bit of consulting. And that is when I met um, the Larry Prager and the uh, the folks running Dr. Prager Sensible Foods, which is a pretty well-known veggie burger company. They make lots of things, but that's what they're best known for. I consulted for a year for that company, primarily working on innovation, a little bit of marketing, and then was invited to just join the organization full-time as an employee, uh, took the title VP of marketing, but I oversaw marketing, innovation, and R&D. This was very much a family business at the time. Product development. Product development. Yep. Yeah, right. Okay. And... It was very much family business and really just on, um, when I think back to the life cycle, they were really just starting to professionalize. So I was with that company for eight years overseeing those functions. I came in the same time as a CF, the first sort of you know external CFO came in, first time um, yeah. a very seasoned uh, sales executive came in. We all sort of joined at the same time. We also essentially left at the same time as well. Uh, but we grew the business uh at a tremendous clip, over fivefold in in eight years, and then we sold right. uh, the majority of the business to private equity in early twenty one. And I stuck around. Right. I was actually very involved with the sale. That itself uh, could be a separate podcast. <laughs> um, oh, um, and it was a great experience. Um, learned a ton. Stuck around for nearly a year uh, with the transition uh-huh. and everything, uh, hand, essentially handing off the baton. When, so it's interesting because it's it's a good uh, case study because I guess Dr. Prager was more of a mom and pop shop, right? He was still running the business. And then he made the transition of bringing in people that, you know, at your level that are corporate people that you don't normally have in a business. Like most small businesses have a lot of trouble making it to that next level because the owner feels that they can still do everything and they can't. And he starts and then he went, he got an exit. So he did the right thing. But a lot of people have trouble saying, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be the CEO. Maybe I shouldn't be the head of marketing, that type of stuff. Right. You're right. I've seen that. I think we've all seen that before. In this case, it was actually the second generation that was taking the helm. So, so uh, his son, took the helm and really led the charge in terms of realizing that they needed to professionalize and bring in people with outside CPG, you know, essentially outside CPG. And, and that's what we did. We were essentially, you know, tasked with really growing the business. And over time we, you know, we, we grew sustainably, we grew profitably, we weren't using outside capital and we built up our teams. We built out our sort of functional expertise processes, all of that. And, yeah. and it became, I think, a very attractive acquisition target as, you know, as we were growing scale all along the way. So we ended up selling yeah. in, in early 21, or at least a majority of the business. And recently, yeah, yeah. Re- re- that's pandemic. Like that's in the middle of the pandemic. Correct. Correct. It was, we were all yeah. working from home. And like I said, I stuck around for, for nearly a year and you know, had some decisions to make, whether I was going to stick around with the new leadership and 
you know, um, probably put in approximately another three to five years, you know, how private equity works with their, with their timelines are like, but I had already put in, put in eight years. I was ready for a new challenge. I had spent 20 years really building and growing small startup challenger food and bet brands for other people. I really wanted to do it for myself. And I left at the end of 21 and essentially spent all of 22 working to build, you know, folk revival. Um, right. Did you write a business plan? Had you been working on the idea for a while or like, I, I had, I was wondering where you, I like sit down and say, okay, I'm doing this. So, you know? so what I found is, you know, when you, when you're in a role like I was in and you're, you know, working 60 plus hours a week, it's virtually impossible to really right. move a business forward. But I knew that I had the right. training and the experience and the discipline that if I just had the time, I could really move forward. So I had like a, you know, not a fully formed idea, but I had sort of a couple PowerPoint slides that were fairly fleshed out, which essentially like the whiteboard. Okay. I essentially had like a whiteboard of the, uh, of the brand. Yeah. And as soon as I left, I really set to work to build out that vision. And actually I started, very, which is, I really started with the brand architecture first, which is very unique in the food industry. I mean, almost all food companies that, you know, almost always start with, you know, are are essentially someone's recipe. You know, my, my mother makes the best chocolate chip cookies and I'm going to launch this chocolate chip cookie brand. I'm going to call it mom's chocolate chip cookie. I mean, that's always how it is. Um, But in this case, I was really focused on the brand. And what I mean by that, that sort of this mission of reviving heirloom and heritage foods, which was something I knew quite a bit about and cared about and always, even though I was in this sort of cor- corporate world, always sort of kept my finger on the pulse of what was happening in that space. Again, you know, I started my career early as a young man, as, right. a, as a as a gardener and a farmer. Um, and it was just something I always sort of took an interest in, in terms of the news I consumed and the feeds I follow on social and things like that. So, and I saw- So you, you really started building out the brand from a like, what is it? what's its message? What is it going to be? What's it going to look like before you're like in the kitchen making recipes and stuff? Correct. Correct. So I tried to start with the, you know, sort of the problem, you know, what the, what the unmet need was. And I saw that, I saw that the, you know, the problem was there's a few different things, but one thing was there, these heirloom and heritage foods, which could be an important sort of ecological and health benefit, were not getting a lot of attention from other you know, big CPG or that many entrepreneurs. There were a few other little startups sort of dabbling, but not really staking, right. you know, planting their flag. And and we we did right. just that. We, you know, we have, um, here, I'll just put it close to the camera for those who can see. It does say Heirloom Foods Company locked up so, with our David, logo. For, for, people listening, for people listening, can we talk about what the Heirloom Foods category is? What sure. is it? And what, you know, that's a term I've never heard sure. of. Sure. I'm into like help. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, most people are, or many people are familiar with, you know, heirloom tomatoes that you'd buy at a, you know, farmer's yeah. market or, you know, a Whole Foods or something like that. But, but there are heirloom varieties of tons of fruits and vegetables and grains and whatnot. So um, it it's essentially means foods that have not been hybridized that are usually specific to a specific, you know, domain. So think of um, the best example is you know, having spent time in New Mexico is thinking of all of these 
chilies in New Mexico, right? The the hatch chili or chimayo chili or sort of different chilies that are sort of in sandia, right? That are sort of indigenous to specific regions. They're grown. The seeds from the most attractive fruit are saved. They're planted in that same soil the following year. And like these, in, they end up a hybrid. That's right. Move that's right. And like that. steps are taken to sort of keep them true to type. So they're not hybridized with their, uh, adjacent plants, things like that. So that's essentially, you know, yeah. that's how we get those funky purple tomatoes or striped tomatoes. Like a lot of cares is, is taken to ensure that, um, these, these unique varieties, which add a ton of like biodiversity to our food supply, that they sort of remain part of that food supply. So that's heirloom foods. Yeah, I, thought, I thought the like heirloom tomatoes meant like, you know, they're just like special tomatoes. I didn't think it was like a like an actual process or an actual strain of tomato that's like pure and just like local. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I just thought it was just like beefsteak tomatoes, another name for a tomato. For sure. And, and no idea. No, and it's true. It's and and I think that's probably the extent of many people's knowledge. And frankly, that's good enough. We don't necessarily need to, you know, that our mission isn't necessarily right. to um to to Educate, educate, educate everyone about that. So, in, in fact, there's a little bit of an irony because, like I said, I started with this brand architecture of um, really, you know, building out these marking slides, thinking about the mission and the vision and the purpose and the unmet need and who the target is and um, all of this planet. Yeah, essentially started mapping all of that out. And as that was all taking shape and starting to crystallize, that's when I uh, began doing sort of the innovation work. And, you know, essentially asking, what do we want to launch here? And as I was... Yeah, you didn't even know what the product correct, was going to be. Correct. And as... Right. as so, so there's a fairly methodical way in which, you know, food companies can uh, develop innovation, develop new products. And, and I took like a very sort of... Um, you know, watered down version of that. It was still somewhat methodical, but essentially it's a brainstorming session. And then you end up sort of, you know, screening the hundred of ideas that you throw against the wall for, you know, what, you know, what has the biggest size of the prize? What's the easiest to execute? What has, you know, the most consumer appeal, the most customer appeal. And you sort of score your hundred ideas against these different attributes. And you can have many, many attributes. You can even weight those attributes. Yeah. Like anticipated margin, in anticipated, you know, uh, um, margin attractiveness, things like that. You can go on and on from supply to yeah. demand, whatever. And and one of the ideas that was emerging at the top of our list was oatmeal. And it just so happened that at the, at this time, again, this is just essentially a couple months after leaving my day job. I so yeah. I was I was going to the gym. I was like back at the gym, you know probably the most I had in 20 plus years. I was seeing a personal trainer three times a week. I had the time finally, right? So I was really, I was really disciplined and I was coming home. And at first I was just eating a bowl of oatmeal because I sort of like oatmeal and it feels healthy and nutritious and whatnot, but it didn't take me long to realize that eating a big bowl of oatmeal is sort of like eating, you know, a giant bagel for breakfast. It's loaded with. Oh yeah. It's all carbs. It's like 30, 40, 50 grams of carbs for sure. So I, um, very quickly, like people don't realize that about oat milk. Like they think it's like this nutrition and it's not bad. You know, it's not like eating candy. There's a lot of carbs in oat milk. Right. So if you're like me, which is, you know, middle-aged and not working out four hours a day and, you know, and developing a nice, you know, middle-aged paunch, I need to be, I need to, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, too zealous about it, but I try to abstain from the, you know, 
the bread when the waiter puts it down at the table and that type of thing. So I'm like right, yeah. carb conscious. Yeah. And, and um, so I quickly started like adding nuts and seeds into my oatmeal and then very quickly essentially replaced the oats entirely. And I was eating essentially this funny, you know, essentially hot cereal of nuts and seeds and things like that. But it was grain free. It was oat free. And it tasted really good. What's that? Like mucilix, but without the grain. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so I, you know, I liked it. And right. You had to like, I, I would, take some stuff. Yeah, I, I, this was, this was actually a separate stream. This had nothing to do with the launch of folk revival. This was just, I was, I'll, I was solving an unmet need that I had, which was, Hey, there's no yeah. real hot cereal out there that is, you know, sticks to your ribs oh. and tastes good and is low carb and high protein. So I sort of made one. And like I said, this was, this perfectly coincide with all of the sort of innovation brainstorming and thinking that was going on. And I said, you know, I, I think I have the product to launch, you know, let's cut away the other sort of top performing items that we screen, you know, that were rising to the top of our, you know, of our screener. Let's focus on hot cereal. I share the hot cereal with the people I was brainstorming with, which are other sort of industry uh, colleagues and execs and, and everyone liked it. And it was, it felt like, all right, we were essentially off to the races. So we now had sort of a brand architecture that had taken shape. And we had this, we had this product that the team that had started to coalesce um, really liked. And I engaged an old, I engaged an old Mars product developer, um, you know, R&D colleague of mine, back when I worked on a brand called Seeds of Change, which is an organic food company owned by Mars. And who does okay. who does all sorts of like product development for better for you companies for the past few years? And I s- sent her something. I told you know I told her I'm going to send you something in a Ziploc bag. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Just follow the cookie instructions. I didn't even tell her it was something I was working on. I don't think. And I said, just try it. Call me. Tell tell me what you think. She tried it. She said, this is pretty good. It's sort of like an oatmeal. And I said, right. So I said, you know, do you think you can make it better? And she said, yeah, I actually, I think I can. I have some ideas. We talked about that. And then we were truly off to the races. And we spent all of 22 sort of optimizing those recipes and finding a factory and coordinating the supply chain, building a website and all of those sort of pre-launch activities. And we finally launched the brand at the very, very beginning of 2023. So, um, so the brand is out there. The brand is now out there. And and we are in, you know, we're in about a hundred stores across the East Coast, mostly clustered around New York City. Um, yeah. and we're online and on Amazon, a few other e-tailers, and right. and we recently were authorized by Whole Foods, which was a tremendous win. So um, we'll be rolling out to Whole Foods at the very beginning of 2024. And okay. And yeah, we're so let me ask you. So the cereal, the cereal um, industry or the cereal category—that's what I'm thinking of—is is is a, is a vast category. Like if you go to the cereal aisle in the supermarket, you know it's one of the few foods that has its own aisle. I mean, it's just there's just so much competition. First of all, I would think not necessarily heirloom and not necessarily your ingredients, but I would think there are other breakfast choices, right? That are low carb, high protein type of things. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's not that many. So this, this was one of the, one of the screens, um, that we used in the innovation 
filter, which is yeah, which is like competitiveness. And in yeah. in hot cereal, there's nothing on shelf today that has our macro nutrient content of 20 grams of protein and f- less than five grams of net carbs. So it's essentially a keto really? product. We don't. Uh, you know, heavily market it as a keto product, but there's nothing high protein, low carb in the hot cereal category today. So that's one of the things. Really? Correct. There, there are there are in granola. There are uh, uh, some in in boxed, you know, cold cereal, but nothing in hot cereal. Right. And in fact, if you look at the category, you're right. It's a big. Even just, I mean, you said it has its own aisle, but even you know, hot cereal, oatmeal. It's a billion dollar it's plus. Cat. It's a billion dollar category right. plus. It's a little bit of a, you know. It's a little bit of a big, mature, sleepy category. You know, you say oatmeal, you say hot cereal. It's not like the sexiest category in the store. But that was that was part of the appeal is there's just not that much going on that's really, really innovative. And, you know, we have category managers working at retailers who are yeah. who who have to grow their categories. They have to find ways to grow their categories and they have to right. bring new items in that are, that are going to deliver growth. That's essentially their that's their job description. And right. you have to make it really as easy as possible uh, for the the buyers, the category managers, the merchants to say yes. It's very they're seeing lots of brands, right? Dozens and dozens of brands, each category review. It's really easy to say, no, we don't have the shelf space. No, I don't need another, you know, apple cinnamon. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you have to make it easy. And the way to do that is through differentiating your product and the, and then the, but to not differentiate it so much that it becomes sort of niche, right? You can't come out there with uh, something no one's able to buy it all the time. That's right. So, user of it. so, you know, we know protein is, is, um, is in demand. We know whatever happens to the keto trend. I think the underpinnings of high protein and low and low carb are here to stay, whatever we end up calling it right. five, 10 years from now. Um, and we wanted to offer those retailers something that they don't have in their set. So, and then of course, by also having the addition of acorns and being the first brand to bring acorns to market in any category, any aisle of the store, it was sort of novel enough, but not too crazy, not too wacky. I have launched some wacky things in my career, but not too, not too wacky um, that, um, right. you know, that they'd, they would turn it down. So, Well, do we as human beings eat acorns in other foods? Like, So, yes, yes. It's, uh, I'll okay. give you like the one-minute version on an acorn. So acorns have, acorn. A- acorn 101, <laughs> right? So acorns have been consumed for millennia across the world. Oak trees grow, you know, lots of species of oak trees grow all over the world. And, um, and they're still consumed by in pockets here and there in some form or fashion, sort of most notably in, in Korea, they have this very sort of, uh, famous traditional sort of appetizer dish that they derive from acorns. It's really tasty. Um, you can buy it at H Mart, you know, if you, uh, uh, if you have an H Mart near you. Um, and, um, and in North America, they're not widely. So they're, like I said, they're consumed globally across the world in pockets, but in North America, they're not widely consumed except really by, a, you know, various sort of native American tribes where, They've been, yeah, they've been essentially, you know, they're sort of prized as an important heritage food. Uh, they, acorns have been consumed in North America since sort of pre-Columbian times. And um, as, as, as native cuisine has um, seen a resurgence, you see acorns actually popping up on some 
of those menus. Um, but n- no brand has brought acorns to market in sort of a, you know, packaged good form, like you're, you know, like essentially what we're doing with folk revival. It's sort of analogous to, you know, to something like coconut water 20 years ago, right? If you were to go into a, right. you know, any store in North America 20 plus years ago, you wouldn't really find coconut water except maybe in like an ethnic uh, Asian grocer, for instance. Right. Yeah. Um, but outside that population, it wasn't widely consumed, but of course it's turned into a multi-billion dollar category. Um, some entrepreneurs decide they can put it in a bottle, brand it and distribute it and talk about all of its benefits. Yeah. So we're, yeah. it, it, okay. I mean, it's, I'm not saying we're the next uh, Vita Cocoa. I was just the, wondering, if I go to Whole Foods and I go to the, the nut aisle, I can get a box of cashews. Can I get a box of acorns? No, no, so, you right? can't. They're, 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 no. Not, they're not widely processed, right? You have to do a lot of, it is one of the reasons why it hasn't been done is a lot of processing is required to make acorns edible, um, healthy, and tasty. So right. if you, you can't just take you can't take them off the ground and you can't pick it off the tree. It's a little bit analogous yeah. to, to like, um, like an olive. You can't pick an olive off of a tree and eat it. It would just be too bitter. has these very, um, strong compounds. It's That's right. So you, so you have to sort of wash all those bitter compounds out of it completely to make it palatable, tasty, and nutritious. And that's what we do. There's very few, and, and that's very laborious. So it's not, huh? it's not widely done. There are, you know, some people, some craftspeople and wild crafters and people like that who are, who are doing it on a very small, you know, individual scale, but the, it's not really being done right. at a larger sort of industrial scale. Um, but. Okay. So, so what do you, if you're saying, okay, well, we're going to do this with acorns, but w- then where's your supply coming from? So I can't tell you exactly where my supply com- comes from because it's, you know, that's part it's of the an idea of like, how do you tackle that issue? <laughs> so I was able to, I'm, I, you know, I'm good at this. I, I, I know how to find suppliers, right? Cause I've been doing this for a while. So, right. so um, I was able to find a supplier that was already um, harvesting and processing acorns. And they were essentially oh, selling, selling the caps to, the cat, like the head, the cap of the acorn to yeah. more or less the garment uh, industry because because it's yeah. used to tan leather, believe it or not. So, really? to, so that's right. Acorn caps are still used to tan leather. So, and they were more or less discarding the acorn nut. And these are tree nuts. Yeah. This is, this is a tree nut, like a cashew or an like muffin top. Right. They're taping the muffin tops and they're throwing away the stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So, so they already had a supply. They were already doing this in efficient sort of, um, you know, industrial scale more or less. And, and, and were able to sort of create a market for what was previously like a waste stream for them. So essentially we are like oh, wow. upcycling, helping to upcycle these wild harvested acorns and that are, you know, grown in these like diverse forest ecosystems. These are not like plantations or, you know, row crops of oak trees or anything. And that was our supply. So it's, um, you know, and the, the, the benefits of, of acorns are, you know, there are myriad benefits. There's ecological benefits. They're part of, you know, they don't require any, any irrigation, right? I have a 150 year old oak tree in my backyard that drops about a ton of acorns this year. It's a good year for acorns. And, you know, I didn't water it. I didn't you know, have to spray any pesticides or fertilizers, right? This is, so they don't require any yeah. really toxic agricultural inputs. They're not, uh, they're not using up precious water. And because the acorns, we, 
uh, where we get ours from are part of this sort of just natural diverse forest ecosystem. They're, you know, they're helping to sequest, sequester carbon. It's actually helping to fight, uh, you know, climate change. So it's, it's right. really, it's, it's, it's really good ecologically. And then sort of health wise, you know, these are tree nut with like, these are tree nuts that have, you know, similar nutritional profile to other tree nuts, right? So there's fat, there's protein, there's some carbs and, you know, they're very high in some, um, sort of plant compounds that are good associated with uh, circulation and um, blood flow, similar to the compounds found in like red wine or dark chocolate, um, really high in, in minerals, um, really great addition, tons of benefits why they should be integrated into our food supply and um, really happy to be making that introduction to most people in America. Okay. So I'll probably have more questions for you about, uh, acorns as well but let's take a break i got a couple of sponsors that i have to give some shout outs to and then we'll come back and we'll talk more about folk revival and what it is and what you're doing and where you're going with it does that make sense good here's a word from our sponsors looking to market and grow your business or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running a weber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business from maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly tab board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools and customized strategic planning workshops, tab membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at tab invite you to try risk-free. Are you struggling with managing advertising due to a lack of time or expertise? Perhaps you're facing challenges in scaling ads for your store. Are you feeling lost when strategies have no success? GSM Growth Agency is your reliable partner in overcoming these business challenges. Feel the impact of collaborating with a team dedicated not only to short-term goals, but also to building long-term partnerships and achieving sustained success. Embark on an exciting journey to redefine the possibilities of e-commerce and create a legacy of unparalleled excellence. Take decisive action now. Follow their link in the show notes to receive a complimentary audit of your Shopify store conducted by a GSM expert. Propel your e-commerce game to new heights with GSM Growth Agency. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. All right, David. So we were having the probably first conversation I've ever had about acorns in my life beyond they're denting my car at my house, you know, things <laughs> like that. So I was curious, did the, you said you sent a test sample, a recipe to your colleague to try and then to improve. Did that, in, did that include acorns? Did the original recipe include acorns? Yeah. 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 I'd been messing around with acorns for a little while, a few years. I think I read an article in some random, um, 
that you know, what it was. magazine years ago that interested me. And then I read into the history and then I sort of surveyed the landscape, who's doing what. And I saw there really wasn't that much happening um, in the sort of the, you know, the modern marketplace. So there were some people doing some crafty things on Etsy and things like that, but no yeah. one, no one was really launching, you know, introducing products into the wider marketplace. Um, and right. I saw the opportunity. So yeah, there were already acorns in that product. Okay. So do you have like a secret lab with white lab coats where you go and you try different cereal combinations and things like that? Because no. you have a bunch of bunch of uh, varieties, don't you? Two or three we, different flavors. We have four flavors and it's not so high tech. It, it's, it, it's, it's, um, you know, our bench top is really a kitchen countertop. So it's not, it's not so high tech. This is a very small business today, right? We're essentially just launching, right? This is year one. Um, I have five partners on the brand. We're all either working out of our homes or a few of them actually run very successful agencies. But I've brought in sort of five cross-functional partners. My R&D colleague and partner uh, works out of her home. I mean, she has a she has some serious equipment there, but it's it looks more or less like your kitchen or my kitchen. Got it. And you you use a Coke packer, basically, is what it's called, right? Yep. They pack for you and it's not like you have to build a warehouse and stuff like that. You don't need to do no, that. no, no. In, the, in this day and age, everything the, it's all out there if you know how to tap into it. Yeah. Um, and if any of your listeners have any questions and want some, you know, guidance, I'm always I'm always reachable and happy to happy to help people out. So I can, you know, people can reach out to me on LinkedIn or something. Um, but right, exactly. yeah, we found a we found a co-packer. I've 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 sort of ramped up with a bunch of co-packers over my career, probably you know approaching a dozen different co-packers. So to for different products, for different products on. we worked on, whether it was you yeah, know, so you before, business, right? right. So before Dr. Prager's, at Dr. Prager's, lots of things that we couldn't make in house, we would find factories um, around the country, typically that are already in the business of making these things. So so when you know when we decide this is what we wanted to launch, it was the process was pretty simple to scout out the available factories out there, talk to a few of them. We found one. Uh, that has been a ter terrific partner and actually an investor in the brand. So they they have really gotten behind Folk Revival, gotten behind oh, me, yeah. um, gotten to know a couple of the partners, and um, and have invested, which has been just a tremendous uh, boom for for the brand. Okay, good. So that was the next question I was going to ask you. Did you raise capital for the business? Like, how did you fund? Was it bootstrapping? I mean, what did you do, and how much? Cap not how much, but you know, have you raised a lot of capital and had to give up a lot of equity or what does that picture look like? I'm, I'll, yeah, I'll be super transparent. I'll tell you everything. So we, I've been bootstrapping this and frankly, you know, if it weren't, um, um, you know, I'm not a spring chicken, right? I'm, I'm approaching 50. So you're like, you have to be able to, this, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a capital intensive business to launch a, launch a food company without a doubt. Sure. Right. So you can't, yeah. you know, it's, you have to be able to have a, a little bit of a, a little bit of runway, right? Some savings, yeah. I think, in order to pull this off. Um, so, right. you know, by this stage in my career, I had that. Um, and I thought I could, you know, go a year or two without a salary, put a little bit of money right. into into a new venture. I sort of had that freedom really for the first time in my life. And yeah, and um, so it's been bootstrapped. Because this kind of business is, there's no money coming out for a while. That's right. It's all going in. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you have to, yeah. you know, you, you have to account for that. Um, you have to plan for that. So, um, and I knew that going in, of course. So we, I, you know, I bootstrapped this essentially up until quite recently when 
we start we started receiving some investments raised on a convertible note. One of our investors okay. is actually our Acorn vendor. So that company I described earlier, Perfect. they ended up investing in the business. Right. Um, they really liked what we were right. trying to do. They really wanted to see it succeed, succeed. And it's been great to sort of take this, you know, relationship, which was, you know, sort of somewhat transactional originally and now sort of elevate right. it. And it's now a proper it's partnership. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and, okay. and another actually interesting sort of strategic partner has been our national sales broker. Now, this doesn't happen all the time, but our national sales broker who is essentially our, you know, our field sales team out there calling on all the major retailers, right? They call on Whole Foods and Sprouts and everyone, Walmart, Costco, Kroger. So they're, they're a company that contracts with companies like yours to sell your products. That's you right. don't have to go and hire your sales Correct. So, and they probably represent, you know, 75 or so different brands. Um, but they've, as far as I know, they've invested in one, which is ours, nice. which has been nice. a, a real sort of blessing. And, um, and then... In order to sort of widen the sort of the um, the investor base, we recently kicked off a crowdfunding campaign on WeFunder. Okay. So crowdfunding, for those mm-hmm. not familiar, is a platform that enables non-accredited investors. You don't have to be wealthy, right? The right. minimums are very, very low. I think $100, right? So for $100, it's a, yeah. it's a little bit like Kickstarter, right? So, like Kickstarter. But, but instead like of getting... Instead of getting a free sample or whatever Kickstarter, you actually get exactly you get equity in the business. Right. So we've yeah. we've recently turned that on, and that's off to a great start. So that has essentially been to start like the friends and family round that I never really did. We never really did a true friends and family round. So that we're in the middle of that process right now, and it once you get to a certain threshold on that on on WeFunder. Um, it then goes public on the campaign. So all of their sort of traffic that go to their site and, you know, retail investors, small investors, angels, those types of people right. who are looking for the next thing to invest in, they'll, they'll, they'll soon be able to see our, uh, our profile, our campaign on that page. Uh, and so it's... No, no, you can't raise millions of dollars to that campaign. No, correct. That type of page campaign. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. thousands. And our objective is actually fairly modest. It's essentially to fund fund operations, so some sales and distribution, but really support the launch at Whole Foods through 2024. Mm -hmm. So around the end of 24, we should have a really strong track record of knowing that we're, you know, we're in four regions along the East coast from Maine to Georgia, essentially. Um, it's about 170 stores. We should have great, a great velocity story, whatever it may be. All of that will emerge by certainly by the middle of 24. And at that point, um, we'll be well positioned to then go to the wider sort of proper, you know, sort of investor community. Right. You'll, you'll can show whether it's being sold through. That's, that's what angels and venture capitalists want, right? They want to know, Proof of concept, traction. I mean, we already have proof of, of, of concept and traction enough for, for us to know that we should continue to proceed right. and invest our own money into it and all of that. But larger investors, VC, et cetera, they really want to know that you're not just on the shelf at Whole Foods, but you're you're turning off the shelf at Whole Foods. Exactly. Now, is it, it's more of a, it's still, that kind of a product is still more of a, you know, retail 
right? It's not really direct to consumer that much, right? People don't order that stuff online, or are you finding that they are? They are. They are. It's uh, first of all, it's ambient, right? So it doesn't require ice or dry ice or anything like that. It's um, it's right. light. It's essentially light because it's it's dry. You have to you know add just like any other oatmeal, you have to add water or milk to it or whatever. Um, right. So it's, so it's easy to ship. So light. Easy, yeah. easy and inexpensive to ship, and we have. Uh, we've developed, I mean, that was actually the first proof of concept that we really had is let's turn the website on, drive some traffic there and see what, what happens. Will people buy it? And then those people who buy it, will they repeat? Will they buy it again? Do they like it enough to continue buying it? And in fact, that's what we found. So that, in fact, that's really what 23 has been all about is confirming that we have strong repeat orders online. And when we put it in those hundred stores across the East coast, confirming that those stores would reorder that's, you know, and they have yeah. essentially they've reordered and reordered again. And that's despite the fact that we're not really spending any money on marketing. We're not doing a ton of demos or not. We're not, we're not burning cash on marketing. The stores, it just, it, you know, it looks pretty good on shelf. People are trying it and enough people who try it are actually buying it again. So it was, it was really encouraging signs. So there is very little advertising. You're not putting up in a commercial in the Super Bowl. You're not, you know, doing that's like that. 20, that's 2025, Mitch. Look, so how, <laughs> That is, it depends on who makes it to the Super Bowl, right? So, so how how are they hearing about it then? Where are you getting this uh, traction? So online, it shows up on the shelf. So buy it because there's acorn. Something like that. so uh, uh, online. It's very. It's been. It was very rudimentary. Like when we started, we. I mean, it was quite sophisticated, but it's you know it's commonplace. But we started with just a, a, a typical search campaign. We. You know, we created, you know, about a dozen different ad groups. We drove traffic to the website from these like different. Google ads. Exactly. Nice. Facebook ads. Very simple, Got very it. straightforward. A great way to like learn. I mean, that was actually, it was really about learning. And we learned yeah. to do, you know, when you're sending ads out with a paleo message or a keto message or a high protein message or low sugar or diabetes, or we had all of these different ad groups. Right, yeah. which group converts. And we were able to learn all sorts of things from that exercise. Um, that's how people found out yeah. about it. And of course there's some, we're, you know, we're dabbling with some social, um, social media, of course. Right. And, and, it, and in store, they're just finding out about it by seeing it on shelf, essentially, you know, maybe we have a, a tag yeah. that says new item or a tag that says, um, you know, a dollar off. And that helps draw right. consumers attention. Well, that's to because product. that's why I asked you that question before, because I don't know if you're going to notice that it's, that it's on the shelf unless you know what I mean? Unless it's brought to your attention because there's so many things. That's right. I mean, if I didn't meet you and I was in whole foods, I wouldn't notice that this was, a, you know, unless they had something where it was tagged new item or something like that. That's right. That's right. So they, and they will, when we, when we appear on shelf in January at whole foods, they'll, we'll have new item tags, which I think are up for 60 days where we'll have our okay. first promotion at the, in the second half of February. So it'll say uh, whatever it's going to say a uh, dollar off, I think, or 25% off or, or right. I, don't, I can't quite remember. Um, and those tags are probably now, the most effective way to draw consumers attention to your product. Yeah, of course. Now, do, does it all, is it all so through the Amazon marketplace? Is that the deal with whole foods? It's also got to be available online no i don't i don't think that's a necessity for products sold at whole foods you don't also have to sell on amazon but we are on amazon amazon of course owns whole foods uh so we are on amazon and that's been an interesting you know interesting uh, venture for sure that's been going really well um so and again seeing like the really keeping track on those repeat orders that's been one of the most important metrics to me as we're just right. really monitoring it and making sure that 
the the repeat orders are strong and that they continue to trend in the right direction. And, you know, when you're small and you're sort of data starved, right? I'm used to working at bigger companies where you're sort of inundated by data. You almost have more data than you can right. you and your team can possibly process. But in in this situation, it's really the opposite. We're sort of data starved, but you have to be able to sort of keep your eyes and ears open to all of those signals, which is things yeah. like, you know, things like, well, when consumers reach out with a phone call or an email, what are they saying? Or, you know, and, right. and are those, are those repeat numbers continuing to tick up upwards? Um, all right. of those sort of signals. And when I get on the phone with a buyer at, you know, even Citarella's, which is a small uh, specialty retailer in New York City, is he really happy with the performance or is he saying, eh, it's sort of a slow mover? But all of those things, right? So, and all of the signals yeah. have been positive and encouraging, which has, which is why we have just sort of kept going, kept going, and, and why it's expanding. Yeah, I think, and I, and I find this consistently because I've interviewed obviously a lot of people, right? We're on 300 some odd episodes, uh, all kinds of different people around the world. I think the the business owners that are really good at what they do are constantly checking those things. They're they're looking for what their consumers want, why they're buying, you know, what's making them make decisions, where's the traffic coming from, and they never say, "Okay, I know the answer," like because they know it's changing all the time. Like just because your consumers want to buy this product today does not mean that they're going to keep buying it, like you said. So you always have to be looking and you're a data guy and you were in the industry, which obviously is attractive to investors and attractive to the business, its success itself. You have a good background. So you're not only have marketing, you have the food background, the whole thing. Some people just go in, they want to make a cereal and they got no background. They don't take the time. Like they make these products and they say, okay, and they're going to markets and sell. And they're like, it's not selling. But you, you know, right, that if you don't test, you don't test the ads. If you don't test your stuff, if you don't ask the questions, if you don't constantly look for that data, you, you know you just in, exponentially increase your chances of success because it's a moving target. Consumers are fickle, you know. And I, I think that a lot of small business owners—I don't know how you feel—make that mistake of thinking, "Oh, I know the answer," or they ask once, they ask ten people they know, and they're like, "Well, that, there you go," and then it's not working. They're like, "What's wrong?" And they go out of business or they struggle. So, you know, I think that's a huge component. You, you definitely can't sit still and can't and can't underestimate, you know, the competition or uh, rest on your laurels, right? You have, it's, it's very dynamic. The food and beverage marketplace is really dynamic. There's always new products coming in. They're, you know, they're backed by celebrities. They're backed by deep pockets or whatever it may be. Um, and right. And you have to be mindful. You're right. The landscape is it changes. Consumer taste changes. Um, trends are ebbing and flowing. Um, but one of the th one of the things that I think has been really integral to our you know our modest success to date, because again, it's still such a new company, has been bringing right. in you know uh, these partners and not just the, not just the actual partners on the brand. Yeah. Like I've mentioned, like the, like yeah. the R and D associate who I've known for you know almost 20 years, but, 
um, right. a DTC guy who I've worked with for years, a branding and uh, advertising guru who I've worked with for years, a social media person who I've worked with for years. The, the former CFO of Dr. Prager's is now working as a partner for, nice. for Folk Revival. They're, I'm sort yeah. of surrounded by these very talented people with very complementary skill sets. I'm, I'm not a social media guru or whiz, right? Or, you know, whatever it is, right? This is someone who's built her career for the past 10 years. She's been representing some of the most amazing uh, natural and organic food and bev brands doing, handling all of their social needs for them. She's, she's doing the same thing for Folk Revival. Um, and yeah. again, I've known her for years. So I think that has been sort of our secret sauce, which is not going alone, yeah. um, but rather sort of going together. I think it's going to help us um, get get to where we want to go with the brand. Yeah, no, I mean, and look, you you grew up in an industry where you have access to those people, other people don't. But I think if you look at like the four, there's like to me, there's like four basic components of a business plan of a, of a strategic. You know, as you're building a business, right? There's your product, obviously, or your service if it's a service. There's certainly the marketing and knowing your marketplace and all that stuff. There's the financials, but the fourth part that I think people overlook is is the personnel side of it, the the people skills and the the fact that, yeah, you can't go it alone. That's a lot. You need to have expertise in a lot of areas. Nobody has those expertise. And they overlook it and they're trying to do it on their own too often. Yeah. I mean, the the, the attrition rate in in, in in our industry is really high. Um, you know, I go to, you know, Expo West every year and I see all of these sort of brands with, with um, you know, generally young founders who have stars in their eyes and it, it's exciting. It's a really dynamic, energizing show. But yeah. Yeah. Or they're not there in two years. It's like, it's a leaky bucket of brands, like always coming in and then leaking out the bottom. And I think there's a lot to be said for, um, following your passion and, and, and sort of pursuing your entrepreneurial dreams. But there's also a lot to be said for sort of striking at the right time and sort of building up those muscles that are required to succeed and even better understanding what muscles are required to succeed before, uh, before, you know, before starting your venture, you know, almost learn the trade, learn what you need to know, um, as an employee somewhere else first, if you can make mistakes on someone else's dime, so to speak, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, I can't thank you enough. I think that this discussion is not only good about your company and learning about the product and hopefully people can find it in the different stores and everything like that but also a good lesson for people as to, you know, how to kind of prepare and do things the right way, do things, you know, that, you know, be strategic about it, plan, test, look, and all those kinds. Of, I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time. So it's just good to have someone on the show who is like recognizes those things and is doing it uh, seemingly the right, I'll say seemingly because nothing's guaranteed, right? The right way. Um, and I think it's, you know, really going to increase your chance of success, assuming the product's accepted and people think it's delicious. Yep. You got all the other parts in place. So I'm going to have to, oh, we have an H Mart. I, I know we have uh, stores around here, but definitely have a Whole Foods. So I, I'll look for it, I guess, in 2024. Yeah, in January, um, in, oh, in January 24. Yeah, but I could order it. Yeah, you can, you can go to folkrevival.com uh, to yeah. learn more about the brand, order the product. You can go to Amazon and just yeah. search for Folk Revival yeah. Hot Cereal. And, and for yeah. the crowdfunding, if you want to learn more about investing, it's wefunder.com forward slash Folk Revival. Okay, so I think, I'm not sure if you gave me those links or 
uh, you can send me those. Sure. So yeah, send me that link and I'll put it in the show notes of the show with your bio and then people see it. Actually, if they're listening now, it would be below here. So amazing. Thank you so um, much. I, I know we just talked a few days ago. I had a cancellation. You squeezed me in. And uh, yeah, and then this time will be out probably sometime in February. So hopefully by then it will be in Whole Foods when they're listening to this. Amazing. Which will be good. Really appreciate the opportunity. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at the Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.